You're listening to our Radio Canada at home and abroad. We're sitting at a coffee shop in Sandy Mount in Dublin, and I'm sitting across from Eddie Vaughan. And Eddie, he's the curator, radio historian, and a lecturer and author. And uh, he operates the Irish Radio, Irish Pirate Radio Archive. And uh, he recently published a book as well about um, Murphy's Pubs, as I recall, in Ranla and Rat Mines. So, um, uh, multi talented. Yeah, multi talented. Well, uh, great to have you here, Eddie. And thank you. Thank you. Um, tell me a bit about Irish Pirate Radio Archive to start with, because you know I think when we left, uh, we left in 1988. The pirate radios really were only starting to come on the scene. No, pirate radio got back way before that. Not down the country. Uh, well, I, I'm going down to Cork tomorrow, and, and Cork pirate radio started in, in the late early 60s. All right. Radio Julius, um, radio Bandon then was in the late 1960s. Radio Newry. There's a lot of pirate. Every decade since radio came to Ireland, has been pirate radio. Uh, but we had what we describe as the golden era of pirate radio when uh, lax laws um, and an unwillingness of the government to tackle the issue, pirate radio blossoms. Again, there was a lack of alternative. Uh, RTE was a bit dull and stayed, and the country was getting younger, and it was an explosion of the likes of U2 and the Cranberries, and there was music coming on the scene. So Pirate Radio blossomed in a kind of a, a bit of a vacuum uh, between government and the national broadcaster how to deal with this new... I mean, U2, first of all, when they came on the scene and they brought out their first demo tape, could get nowhere to play it, bar Pirate Radio. So it was the likes of Capital Radio in Dublin and Big D who first gave you to airplay uh, and then when they became popular and there was a bit of traction then RT had to follow on board and Dave Fanning was a great supporter of U2 and when he went to the national broadcaster when it opened um, U2 kind of followed him so every time even U2 to this day bring out a new album Dave Fanning gets first call right. but the golden era of Pirate Radio was basically 1970 78 to 1988 right. when at any day especially towards the mid to late 80s on any day during the week you could get 150 pirate radio stations on air in Ireland they would have been on AM wouldn't they AM and FM FM came in in 1981 when Radio Nova the late great Chris Carey came to Dublin and just blew everybody out of the water um, up to that it was kind of hobby uh, homemade transmitters uh, fellas in garden sheds yeah. but Chris Carey arrived in having been on uh, Radio Caroline right over here with Robbie Robinson two men went their separate ways uh, Robbie went out to Radio Sunshine Radio out in Port Marnock and Chris Carey opened up Radio Nova in June 1981 and he had this what was known as clutter free radio initially no advertising beautiful clear FM signal and just DJs who knew exactly what they were doing I mean his great story Declan Meehan's great story is that when Chris offered him a job he gave uh, Declan a week's holidays in LA in Chris Carey's condo over there and all that Declan had to do was sit by the pool all day long and listen to Kiss FM in LA and bring it back to them right. and that's what they did uh, this is a third illegal radio station uh, Radio Nova who by 1983 had 70% listenership rating in Dublin nobody was coming close to them 
So if there was no clutter at that stage, where was the money coming from? The whole it was. It would be, it again became advertising. Yeah. It was all advertising. I mean, Chris Gary was getting that much advertising. He had to set up a second station, Kiss right. FM, and it was really putting pressure on the national broadcaster. It was really, literally bringing it to the knees, and the government was doing nothing about it. RT at one stage took the law into their own hands and began to jam Radio Nova and Sunshine Radio, and even jammed uh, when Pirate Television started in Drogheda, jammed points by television up there, took it into their own hands. But over the decade, over the decade of the 80s, um, it changed. Uh, government became more stable and there was an alternative required so there have been various white papers how to tackle pirate radio and then separately how to bring in independent radio but by 1987 they had put the two together and they decided that they increased the fines the fine for Chris Perry at the time was five pounds if he was caught and raided which you know about a five second commercial <laughs> uh, which was, was no because the raid was more than absolutely um, but they increased that then to £10,000 okay. uh, and they brought in legislation to create an independent sector which was the Irish Radio and Television Commission and they gave the pirates a chance to close down properly and they told them by the 31st of December uh, 1988 they all had to be closed right. and 99% of them closed uh, went off the air many of them closed in order to apply for licenses some got them some didn't um, and then they also uh, opened up the airway to a national broadcaster which was Century FM which didn't quite last as long as they'd hoped but is now replaced today by Today FM which is really making So given that these were small transmitters what kind of range would they have been trying to achieve or able to get based on power? Well you, had, you had well you had the likes of <laughs> you had two ends of the spectrum you had Radio Nova who was putting out 10 kilowatts and was at one stage he got raided because he started broadcasting from Dublin not to Dublin right. and when he got raided he went back to broadcasting to Dublin uh, he even set up uh, an advertising office in Liverpool okay. he, like the signal was that strong right. and then you had the local community station in the say Balancholic in yeah. Cork who was community local community radio yeah. and they would have been maybe putting out 10 25 watts right. um, but you know there was nobody raiding them yeah. uh, they were kind of immune it yeah. was a kind of quasi-legal yeah. uh, the only time you were ever raided is if your signal interfered with emergency services right right. and they just yeah, got yeah. away with it and to be honest a lot of people made a lot of money out of it uh, you know we, we go down to again I'm not picking any town we'll say Balancholic the local butcher's not going to get a chance to advertise yeah. on radio yeah. on, on national radio or even to them local radio base is not no, he, he, no he's aimed at the, the fellow down the high street yeah. And the same with the local pub or the local shop or the local, you know, any, anybody, the local undertaker was even advertising. Right. I mean, John, John the Man Frawley in, in Radio Limney in Limerick famously introduced something to Ireland that's probably unique to Ireland, that at the top of the hour they give out the tech notices. Right. That's where it started, was on Fire Radio in Limerick. Right. He just, he got the paper out and he read out the tech notices. Yeah. And now they pay to get it on the radio. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
And when you mention that, like, I you know we've, it's evolved greatly, and I'm conscious that there are an awful lot of community radio stations, be it uh, Ross FM or yep. uh, League Slippers out there yep. and Scarab and all sorts of places. Uh, and as you say, it's all legalized now, so it's within community broadcasting with a lot of volunteers. But it is volunteer led because community radio still doesn't have the ability to go get advertising. Yeah. It has to be funded uh, by volunteers and by local funding. And that's, you know, that sort of hampers what they're doing. I mean, I know there's pressure on the BAI from uh, the community association, Crail, to try and, you know, relax that rule. Uh, but at the moment, you know, unfortunately, uh, I don't know whether it's unfortunate or fortunate, uh, but the government have decided that all media should come under one uh, umbrella organisation, commission the man, whereas originally we had someone looking after newspapers, with someone looking after radio, which was the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, and now it's the internet, everything's now come under commission of man, so it's a little bit, I don't know, I don't know what is the best thing to do, especially for community radio, where they were already down the pecking order at the Broadcasting Association of Ireland, I think they've got even further down the pecking order with commission of man, I just, that's just a personal opinion. So when it comes to the archive, what, what do you have in the archive, or what kind of stuff do you have, and is it accessible? It will be accessible at the moment, again, unfortunately, uh, the little matter of COVID got in our way. Uh, the reason we set up, uh, on the 25th anniversary of the closure of the parish, which was 2013, I was hoping it would be, you know, people would look back with a little bit of fondness. I know there was a lot of uh, reticence about people to talk about it because some of them were still involved in legal radio, didn't want to talk about the pirate days. Uh, again, the mere mention of pirate radio is illegal broadcasting, so people didn't want to talk about it. But I thought after 25 years um, that we should kind of commemorate. So I went to the broadcasting uh, agencies like RTE and TV3 to see if we could get a, some kind of uh, program made and nobody was really wanting to touch fire radio because to be fair there is still fire radio in Ireland so it's kind of a taboo subject uh, so I went to the Dublin Community Television Channel and I asked them I went with the idea and I said would it be a nice idea just to come around they said yeah it was a great idea and I basically was an ideas man so I gave them the idea and I hope they'd run with it and they brought me in and gave me six hours training in a television studio handed me the keys to the studio and told me to come make it and I did. Right. First episode is absolutely rubbish because I had no idea what I was doing. Right. I had to get my own crew in. Uh, but by episode six, I had it down to a fine art. Uh, I was getting better. And let's say I, wa I wasn't, you know, I wasn't Michael Parkinson uh, or Jay Leno. <laughs> I had got there, but I was interviewing guys that were heroes of mine. They were pirate broadcasters. And that kind of gave me an idea because I was talking to a few of them and they said they had audio, they had tapes, and they had some physical memorabilia like one of them had a, a contact like they were giving out contracts some pirate stations were paying tax were playing uh, performing rights but still were illegal kind of really quasi-illegal stuff only Irish could do this an Irish solution for an Irish problem um, and then they were saying well, we know where to put this so I started thought, thinking about it and I was at a radio conference in Luxembourg with uh, two fellow anoraks uh, John Walsh and Brian Green and at the back of a bus coming back from the Europe 1 transmission site we started talking about this and it was just 
something has to be done. So I put a, uh, an exhibition together with some of my own personal archives and we went around to libraries around the country and a flood of archives came in. And then all that has happened at this stage now is my house was filling up with archives and I can't curate this. Uh, so after a number of discussions with uh, Dublin City University, um, Mark O'Brien and David Meehan out there, okay. uh, they decided they would open an official Irish Library Archive where we could do anything and we officially launched it in 2018 and we have at the archive out in DCU we have the physical uh, memorabilia, so posters, photographs, um, rate cards, like uh, like even the rate cards tells a story because little small printers in the small town was printing these out so he was getting business out of it. Right, right. So there's a, there's a whole social and, and broadcasting history to it and then DCU again like everything else funding became an issue so they weren't able to handle the audio archive so then Brian Green and John Walsh set up the Irish Pirate Radio audio archive so they've been digitizing thousands of hours of tapes and they're available to the public you can just go to pirate.ie or radioways.fm or even my own blog the Irish Broadcasting Hall of Fame and you'll find thousands of hours of audio from goes from the 1960s to the 70s 80s and there's even some pirate radio from today don't tell anyone there's pirate radio still around government might be listening <laughs> so the type of physical memorabilia I'd say could be fascinating when you get into transmitters, microphones, and what would well, have been, what would have been the studio? Well, we're sitting we're sitting here now in Sandyland. Yeah. So there was a radio station here called Radio Sandyland. And I have the transmitter at home. And if I plugged it in, I'd say I'd be a fire hazard. <laughs> it's homemade. That the like, tubes and... Oh, there's 807 valves in it. Like. Right. I mean, we even have a, we have a transmitter um, that was built by a man called Sean McQuillan, the late Sean McQuillan up in Monaghan. And it was, it was a private place when we were on the exhibition. And when we launched the, the archive, it was a private place. It's actually a transmitter built in a USA biscuit tin. It's got its own little uh, fans in it. Yeah. And, and it's plugged in. Yeah. And it's got its own power source. So the idea was, if you were rated, you put the lid on, stuck it on the shelf, and when the guards came in, they just thought it was a pack of biscuits. <laughs> Simple. It's absolutely pure mobile, and it's, it's a 15-watt it's FM transmitter. It was actually used by the writer Pat McCabe, who wrote Gregor's and Pluto. He has his own pirate station that goes around in the back of a VW van called Radio Butty. He goes to festivals, and he starts broadcasting, and that's what it is. It's in a biscuit tin. Right. Uh, yeah, so Radio Sandyman was a small, again, it, it was a community station for the area and I have the transmitter at home so it, it's it's a, it's a real part of Irish radio history one you know, of the, the things I always found with radio is that it's an intimate conversation it's one person talking to one person it's unlike television television is passive radio I always think when you turn on the microphone there's no one else in the studio. And, and there's no one else listening. Usually it's one person. Yeah. It's one to one. So uh, the challenge always is, is that, well, really, well, you're doing it for the love of it. Is anyone out there? And that's all. 
Does there have to be anybody out there? Sometimes, no, there no, doesn't, doesn't have, have to be. That's actually one of the joys. Yeah, it doesn't have to be anybody out there. You're actually, you know, you're doing it. Many DJs in town, they're doing it to please themselves. Yeah. And it's, you know, nowadays maybe not so much because everything is, is uh, you know, voice tracked or it's playlisted and it's a very tight playlist. Uh, but in the pirate days, you brought in your own box of albums and you put them on. And, and if you wanted to put on a whole album, nobody was going to say boo to you. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Meatloaf. Right. I was, and the first time I heard it was on Pirate Radio. And it was the fact that somebody put on Bat Out of Hell. Obviously, he wanted to go have a snooze because he just put on Bat Out of Hell and had a play. Like, right. And one side of it was 45 minutes long. And he was happy. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it was, it was, you know, it was, it was a different era. Um, I, I think some of the. That, that joy that one to one has gone out of radio now today. Unfortunately, it's lacking a little bit of character. Um, mainly because of big business. You know, I mean, a lot of Irish stations now are, you know, owned by one couple of certain groups. Yeah. And it becomes very same old, same old. And it's happened the same in England, you know, where they're losing local stations because they're becoming under the, the iHeart Radio logo or whatever. And it becomes, you know, I, I think what they're going to do is a really. And because now radio is, is uh, there's no AM station well the only AM stations now you have in Dublin are two pirates okay. so AM is gone uh, long wave is gone 252 uh, the dynamite at the mast there uh, a month or so ago um, so FM I mean you know are we going the Norway route where there is no FM anymore Norway's got rid of FM altogether so it's all online or it's DAB um, I don't know I have a funny feeling if, if radio keeps especially knowing the Irish people if radio keeps going the way it is Pirates will make a comeback yeah um, there are a lot of people you mentioned earlier on that still wouldn't, that wouldn't want to talk about their days of pirates but it was where an awful lot of people born of their skin oh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a training ground yeah and even when RT set up their alternative to the Pirates uh, 2FM or Radio 2 as it was known at the time they brought in uh, nearly all the jocks who are pirate for two reasons first of all they were properly trained yeah. and secondly they were bringing an audience yeah. you know so they knew exactly what they were doing and uh, my names that are still prevalent today started I've done a recent interview with Ray Darcy on, on 2FM and he talked about his days sitting in a, in a, a caravan where they had a fertiliser bag over the transmitter to stop the rain getting onto it <laughs> They still do that at electric picnic. Or no, sorry, it's the blue one, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> a bag, a bag I use 10, 10, 20. The call signal here is 10, 10, 20. No, sir, yeah. Drip, drip, drip. Yeah, so you look at movement like, I mean, some of our. Brian Dobson, who's on the radio, one of our best newscasters. He started in, in Pirate Radio. And, and on that, you, you see, what we've been talking about really is that not a lot of Pirate stations focused on music. Yeah. Because there isn't the same appetite for what we talk radio. But yet, talk, was, was there Pirate Talk Radio? Um, no. You see, no, not really. There was a couple of stations. Like, even uh, Radio Nova at its heyday tried to be 
you know, with Dublin today, they have this uh, an hour length uh, talk show, talk radio as such, at, at six o'clock. But nobody wanted that. You know, it, it was kind of just a nod to the saying to the government, look, we're doing the right thing. You know, but it wasn't. You know, and again, there was no no real use of the Irish language uh, on right. the pirates. Uh, you did have Irish language pirate radio stations. Right. You even had an Irish language pirate television station at one stage. And that was operating out of where? Ross Mulcahy County Galway. Beautiful. Um, so again, I mean, they, they were they, um, Radio Sarah Connemara uh, back in the 1970s. Um, they were the impetus to get rid of the Gaelic on the air. And then when Television Gael, Gaelga uh, opened up in Ross Mulcahy Galway in the 80s, they were the impetus for TG4. Right. Um, setting up Pirate TV, and I know your area is more radio, but you know, it's one thing you can say, you can put a, a radio transmitter in a, a, a USAS sort of yeah. good box. Um, setting up a, a Pirate TV station is not, not, not the same. Not much different. Not much different. The transmitters that were used, like Radio Nova, Chris Carey set up Nova Television in December 1983, and that was a like Radio Nova was the biggest station in Dublin probably the biggest station in Ireland and he decided he'd go into television and he got a homemade transmitter entire television this afternoon Tino rather than USASR uh, this was a well it was a, bi- it was a bigger box <laughs> it was more of a chest of drawers perhaps uh, but he, he he got Nova Television on the air right. and within a week the government raided him right. there was no chance as yeah. big as he was on radio there was no chance of letting him on television right. uh, so Nova Television was raided we had a couple of higher television stations um, Channel D uh, back in the early 1980s was based over the north side of Dublin they lasted a good while they had advertising they had shows they had films um, they gave a couple of bands unheard of at the time like the Sust uh, were on the show and they actually made it quite big here in Ireland afterwards uh, because of the exposure they were getting um, but they they could have they, they were never raided their issue was that their home and transmitter went on fire these things happen. Uh, these things happen. And you know, when you say that as well, you and I are sitting here now, and um, I have a little tiny device here in front of me, and we have to our microphones. And it's possible for us to sit down and have this conversation. These kind of things weren't possible because, first of all, you would have needed a car battery. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, te- oh, technology. Technology has come on. Uh, a double A battery wouldn't have, wouldn't have, wouldn't have helped you there. No. Uh, no, technology has changed. And I mean, you'll see technology changing even with radio. Then. There are so many online community stations now. Uh, like, villages uh, have, you know, and there's obviously an interest in it. Just people tune in, and, you know, it's, it's important. It's, it's, it's almost as important, probably more important today than the church. Because the church in Ireland has suffered badly. So that focal point isn't there. So radio in, an, in, an, in a small community becomes the focal point. You know, it's organizing the on-air bingo. And, and you can see from some of these online stations that there is a an engagement in the local community with the station, whether it's a, an online quiz or it's a, a attending an event, it's it's making a difference. Uh, I know they're online, uh, and I think the government or Mission Amman should really look at uh, low-powered FM. You know, like they have in, in the states, that it should be. You know, if you're willing to stay within the law, you should be allowed to put on five watts. You're right. not interfering with. I mean, you you have probably the biggest. Part 
pirate radio operator in Ireland to this day is the Catholic Church because they're on FM right. and they don't have a license to be on FM right. and every church in Ireland down the country has an FM transmitter I've been in this been in the sacristy and the priest just before mass flips the switch on goes the red light out he goes and he's on 108 right. and that's the way they get to the, the local community because they did try them on, on citizens panel but it was too expensive so then is it there a generational issue here and by that I mean you know we're looking at a generation of people now who get their music on Spotify or they're listening to podcasts from or well TED Talks um, that it makes it more challenging for a local community to connect with the youth particularly within the local environment it is generational but the issue and again it goes back to the early part days is that um, where RTE was very staid and dull and their music was very staid and dull as the generation became younger they wanted to listen to pop music and RTE didn't provide they provided one hour a week of pop music that's what gave the pirates a reason and it's the same with many of the pirates especially in the 2000s where dance and garage and house and trance music had nowhere to go so what they done was they set up pirate stations and they were back in the mid 2000s and um, dance pirates were huge right. and that again created uh, an opportunity to create you know a, a little bit more uh, uh, youth orientations like spin like FM 104 that became more youth orientated but there are still genres of music coming out today that will not get airplay unless some fella decides to buy a transmitter and again transmitters nowadays it's not homemade it's cheap to buy yes. um, so you can just get uh, you know a 10 watt FM transmitter on the air I mean I'm no spring chicken anymore and I've been involved in pirate like listening to pirate radio since 1976 and I still get up every Sunday morning and I do a band scan and I listen for the pirates and there's still pirates out there and now the pirates that are out there now are on a Sunday morning are the retro pirates they're playing the 60s because nobody else is playing the 60s right. and they're playing the 70s yeah. so it's the 60s network and the 70s network and yet what I find is and this is more from a North American Canadian experience I know there's a few stations that are licensed and legitimate that if I listen to I can rest assured that if it's five minutes past twelve on a Wednesday and I'm driving down the road I'm going to hear the exact same piece of music I heard it's five past twelve yeah. last Wednesday yeah. and if I switch stations or switch cities and it's the same corpus the same piece of music is properly it's one central source and they're nearly flooding the whole place. It's sucking the spirit out of radio. Yeah. It's sucking the spirit out of what radio was supposed to be. And you have this, it's voice tracked. You know, there's stations here in Dublin, oh man, there's stations here in Dublin where the DJs go in on a Saturday and do all their links for the weekend. Yeah. And it's all voice tracked, it's all playlisted. And all it is is an excuse to take in advertising. Yeah. Uh, and even with, you know, uh, you'd know by the way the uh, interaction with a caller is set up, you know it's not real. Yeah. You know the callers rang in, all right, but it's 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 a template of how to you know. And we're going to now listen to, and she gives her name. She's doing.
doing the work. Yeah. DJ isn't doing the work yeah. anymore. Yeah. And that's it, it. It it loses a little bit of its traction. Well, I mean, especially for me to listen to radio. Uh, I, I I love radio, and I particularly love old time radio. I listen to uh, American old time radio, old time radio shows. Just you know, that was the golden age. Half hour of uh, Philip Marlowe. I'm done. I'm happy. Uh, but like in this country. Um, it's hard for I mean when the pirates were there again the likes of you 2 would you 2 be able to get airplay today I doubt it and you were unless you have a record label behind you if you went into a into win the lane down the road yourself and three or four mates and you had a band together and you come up with this great song unless you have some, where are you going to get played you know it's, it's like the reason that Ronald Rattley set up Radio Caroline because he was the manager of Georgie Fame and he went to the BBC and Radio Luxembourg to get Georgie's new single played they said unless you want one to bring the record labels we won't play you yeah. so he set up Radio Caroline yeah. to play it himself and again you know so you know I, I Again, I don't like you two is, is one of the great examples, and they credit Pirate Radio. Yeah. Daniel Donnell is another man who yeah. credits Pirate Radio. Without Pirate Radio and the country stations like Treble TR and the stations up around the border, he'd never have got the break. never be as good as he is today. I know even as is, nearly on a daily basis, I get an email in and it's their self-promoting artists looking to get and they appreciate it. even with what I do and that I'm on the other side of the Atlantic the number of emails that come from Ireland from emerging artists and young trying to get any kind of airplay uh, and it drives home exactly how for them trying to establish their reputation their, their career it is really a challenge and um, I know I've put it to a lot of people coming out of COVID particularly that 
the Irish market and the Irish music industry is so rich that it, and diverse and that it's very hard to kind of say well how do I get my head above the crowd because I mean we, we had I mean during the pirate days we had a, a country in western station here in Dublin called Travel TR and it was huge hugely popular and when the licenses were given out uh, the uh, license for the country sort of remit was given to Sunshine 106 now if you listen to Sunshine 106 today you'll find it hard to hear much country west right you'll hear probably the American big names Darius Rooker or whatever but it's hard to hear the guy who's trying to make it big in you know Kerry or Galway or something he's after recording Derek Derek Rines and and he's probably get a limited amount and unless it's commercially popular he certainly won't get any airplay I mean there's a up in Donegal and it's the same I was up there recently I was doing doing research on on pirate stations up there and uh, I was talking to a country and western artist and he was after releasing a single and he was actually in a hotel recording a video for a single and it's kind of going great you know and where do you get it played I'm struggling yeah Yeah, I'm struggling and and he's now hoping to get because he has a video that he'll get to social media so it's through Twitter it's through Facebook and maybe if he takes off then he might get an airplay on the radio right but radio I think for some artists now radio is, is the last of their thoughts right. which is a really really sad thing to have to say but it's, it's not the route now to make your band big it's you know your social media your Instagram your TikTok you know that's the new medium for any artist that wants to break through but I mean I'm still I still like, first thing goes on is on in the morning is the alarm and then the radio the other thing I know a lot of artists will say it used to be a case of that you put out an album to get people to come to a live gig mm. now you do a live gig in order to sell an album yeah, it's, it's the other way around. And, and yeah. one, yeah, I know. And again, you'll find that, again, economic times, people, I mean, in my day, when I was a little bit younger, I mean, I was probably going to gigs 10 times a year. Now I have to pick one, yeah. or maybe two, because, you know, tickets are massively, especially in this country, tickets are massively overpriced. Uh, partly, I understand it's partly to do with the insurance costs for some of these events, but it's, you know, you're limiting what you're ending up doing is you're limiting my access to choice yeah. you're, not, you're not limiting an artist's ability to perform you're actually limiting what I can do and you know I, I'm the one that likes the music I'm the one that's paying for it um, and so it's easy I mean I, I this is a Soon as it's uh, for a Canadian audience, uh, one of the uh, former uh, lady who was born in Canada, Meline Farmer, she won the biggest uh, international acts across Europe. French. Oh, she was born in Canada, and I, again, through radio, online radio, I discovered Meline Farmer. Where else but Jordan Lockdown? Uh, we discovered loads of new actors during lockdown, and I went to a concert uh, in Bordeaux in July on Bastille Day, and a concert like that in a stadium here would have probably cost me I'm looking at probably 100, 100 to 120 euro okay. I got a ticket in Bordeaux for her for 55 euro right. you know that's the difference yeah. it, I would I mean my, my, my sister and uh, my daughter are big Pink fans and Pink played here but it was cheap for them to go to Berlin and see her concert then it, like including flights and accommodation than it was to go see their concert here yeah. and that makes no sense yeah uh, and well I, I know that the cost of all 
entertainment, including sport, here is a lot more expensive than we'd experience. Yes, oh, I know. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether it's like we went to the Ireland game to Viva. We said to me, like, how much were the tickets? And we said it didn't matter. Like we were it's events. We were creating an event. Yeah, for, yeah. Uh, a special event, but it was considerably more than it would ever ever be yeah. if we were in France. Yeah, it makes. Yeah, and again, we're suffering. We're suffering in this country for that. And again, that's probably why you know it's, it's cheaper to you know if you, have, if you have a transmitter, stick a transmitter on, and put your own music on it. Like, yeah. so I think then they, you know the car was a great place for people to listen to music. Yes, the car is still big in this country because again we don't have internet radio in the yeah. cars. Now it, it's part of EU legislation now that all cars manufactured in the EU now EU now must have access to internet and DAB radio. We don't have DAB in Ireland right. at all. Uh, we've tried it a couple of times and nobody has really grasped the metal of it. I, not, not the same interest. I mean, you have low-powered, small DAB MUX units up in the north with nothing down here. We did have a pirate yeah. DAB system down here. I think it's still operational in certain parts of the city or certain parts of the country. We did have a, a DAB system here, Dublin Pirate DAB, um, but they got raided. So, yeah. you know, so, I mean, when, when you're trying uh, to encourage people to listen to radio or to change, we don't seem to be able to have any kind of uniformed um, strategy yeah. to get yeah. people to either A, continue to listen to radio, or B, maybe to go back to radio. Yeah. Uh, the car radio is, like, that's why if you go on to the car radio, is still the two shows that will garner the most amount of advertising, and the rating figures will always be looking at it, is the morning drive and yeah. the daytime. daytime. 4.30, 6.30, and the morning from 8 to 10. No, yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, and you listen to it. And I mean, I go into schools, and I, and I lecture in schools, like young students, you know, in very young age, and I say, who listens to radio? Yeah. And you see very few hands going up. Yeah. And I say, who came to school in a car? And half and more than half of the hands up. And I said, was the radio on in the car? Yeah, but I wasn't listening. Yeah, but you don't know you weren't listening. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, it, you know, it, 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 you, you And yet, what I find is, well, they're not listening. If it's not what they want to hear, you're told to change the channel very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and you're in the back seat and they're humming away to a song. Well, you're not listening to the radio, no. <laughs> so then, you know, you, we talked about the importance of it for an emerging artist. So within a, a homogeneous society where Irish music, and I don't mean traditional Irish music, I mean any genre of Irish music, is trying to find its listener. One of the challenges you, you raised there is that you know the national broadcaster has a certain criteria for music and it's international, and that's the same. And limited airtime as well. And, and the same everywhere. Same with Canada. Same everywhere. But you know the the younger audience or any audience, they they have exposure to a global music uh, library, and they're listening to this global music library. Uh, so the whole ability for again the local artists even through local radio and through pirate radio or any kind of radio to reach a pair of ears is a real challenge or it would have always was yeah. I mean if you, if you take the pirate radio I'm terrible to go back to you two I'm not the yeah. biggest fans but I, I, I'm, I'm their biggest fans when it comes to their connection to radio but yeah. personally I wouldn't be there I wouldn't be I wouldn't be paying the 120 euro to go see them but <laughs> um, but it is without without their access to pirate radio they would never have made it. 
So it was the access to radio, and it meant that those stations, those power stations that were on the air, were actually getting people to listen to radio because it was the music they wanted to hear. Right, right. And it was it was their unique connection. It was, you said earlier it was a one-to-one. It is still one-to-one, yeah. and it's getting to that one pair of ears. Now, there might be 20 people in the room, yeah, but that piece of music is just hitting that one right. pair of ears. Right. 19 of them might like it, yeah. but all you need is that one person. Right. Yeah. And he goes home, and nowadays it's so easy if you hear a piece of music and put it on your phone, put it up to the radio, and it'll tell you who's playing. Yeah. Or even the RDS in your car will tell you what's playing like. So it's quick. Years ago, you know, you heard a piece of music and you're kind of going, who the hell? Like, I mean, I remember uh, first time uh, I heard, I was walking by uh, Freeland's um, music venue and I heard this piece of music, a band playing inside, and I said, oh wow, it's brilliant. Like, I was listening to it, and it, to me, it sounded exactly like uh, a tribute act to the horses. And I loved horses, I loved that Celtic rock, and I thought, this is brilliant. And, uh, I was going by with my late wife, Tracy, at the time, and uh, I said, we'll go in. She wanted to go for a drink, like, and I said, I'm going to just have a look. And I went in and I asked her one of the desk, how much was it? Which of the tickets? She said, no, it's free tonight. And I went out and said, it's free. I'll go in and listen for an hour. And it was, music blew me away. It was one of the finest music sets I've ever seen. And it was the first ever performance by the cars. And it just, you know, but it was that that piece of music, me walking by that door, yeah, yeah, yeah. that piece of music, a, a sort of genre of music I liked, yeah. caught me. Yeah. And like, still love the chorus to this day, like, and I went to see them live afterwards several times, and paid to go see them. And I thought, brilliant. And I thought, like, that's what, you know, it's, radio isn't so much a, a transmitter, a microphone, and a DJ. It's audio coming through the airwaves. You know, even to, if you go into school and say, how does radio work to a child and you keep this transistor radio yeah. no wires yeah. like how does it get from the studio which is 100 miles away to there like it's just they could tell me how to you know cheat on Facebook <laughs> or find a way that their parents can't track them yeah. but they can't tell me how and to me that's it's a lost and again that's probably part of the reason that it, I mean it's not just our radio and I've moved on a little bit I've, I'm trying to generate an interest in Irish radio history and that we should be curating and I've gone to very countries around the world and it's you know their uh, idea of celebrating or curating their broadcasting history is far better than ours and I've just been trying over the last couple of years to try and generate more interest that we should have a centralised strategic policy to celebrate and commemorate Irish radio not just pirate radio but Irish radio history which goes back to you know Mark Coney and the Irish mother so with that aim in mind do you see any possibility of arriving at that point where there may be a physical location where we can walk in and we can start enjoying and, and appreciating the history of Irish Radio. I will make it happen. It's as simple as that. I will. It's just it's it's a part of my you know as my daughters would say like you know uh, they were at the, the launch of the Pirate Radio Archive. We had a, a launch in Buswell's Hotel right opposite Dal Air, right in the shadow of government. Like we had this launch of this illegal thing, but it was like it became. RT were there broadcasting from it like it was a big thing and the children turned around and they were there and went you know that's your legacy that 
to me, I'm not doing it for me, it's for future generations of scholars to sit around and turn around and say, this is what radio did for Ireland. It's a natural resource of ours, like the wind, the ether, the airwaves is our natural resource, and we should celebrate it. We're going to switch gear and we're going to talk about your history in, in um, that car and that side of it. Um, 